please be seated. Well, church, we are really blessed to have Pastor Dale Stevenson, Senior Pastor of Crossway Baptist Church here to share with us all the way from Victoria. Thank you so much, Dale and Edie. And I do want to say a big thanks to um, all that you as a church have invested in us. I know some of our team were down there recently and uh, you guys were so generous with your time with them. And so we say thank you Pleasure. for your help. And now, church, can we give Dale and Edie another big, big welcome to share with us today? Thank you so much. It's wonderful to be with you. Obviously, this is a room full of grace. A Queensland room that's prepared to have a Victorian on the platform. Can anything good come out of Victoria? But look on the bright side, I'm not from New South Wales. I would like to honour Peter Sweetman, your, uh, your, uh, your founding pastor. Let's honour Peter. God bless you, man. It's a good, awesome. And, uh, and with some of the stuff I'm going to be opening up today, uh, it will highlight uh, how essential great leadership is, which is what uh, uh, Pastor Nathan has given to you. Can we also celebrate Pastor Nathan? God bless you. <clears throat> All right. Are you ready? Buckle up. The Lord Jesus gave a parable. You'll find it in Mark chapter 4. Uh, Mark is the first gospel that was written and uh, Luke and Matthew traded off Mark. So those three are called the synoptic gospels if you're interested in that stuff. Mark was written first. They think the apostle Peter was probably the, um, the voice behind it. History tells us that. It's the first parable of the first gospel and then the Lord Jesus who spoke the parable interpreted the parable. And not only that, he actually said these words about the parable. He said to them, if you can't understand the meaning of this parable, how will you understand all the other parables? Key parable, okay? So we're going to some some key terrain today. Word of warning, it's gonna be uncomfortable, okay? So brace yourselves, loosen your shoulders up, so, okay, let's, uh, let's hear what the Lord Jesus had to say in this parable. He said this, the farmer plants seed by taking God's word to others. I want you to first note that Jesus never said, I am the farmer, because he is not the exclusive channel through which God's word can come to others. Right now, I'm being the farmer. I'm bringing bringing God's word to you and he said the seed is God's word so I'm bringing God's word to you which therefore in the context of this parable which we know more broadly as the parable of the sower then he goes on to describe various hearts, various lives that the word of God gets planted into so right now you're in the position of being the soil. We'll do better if you give me feedback, okay? So I'm giving you overt permission, speak back to me. I'll I'll give you cues, you give it back to me. Even when I don't ask for it, feel free, all right? Okay, so I'm in the position of the farmer right now and bring the word of God to you. Right now, you're in the position of the soil. Not that that's an exclusive kind of way it's framed up because any time that you bring the word of God to another person, you are the farmer. So it's one of the interesting things about this parable. You can either be the farmer or you can be the soil. Just kind of depends on kind of what's happening at whatever point in time. So the farmer plants seed by taking God's word to others. Now he starts to describe the hearts and lives of those who receive the word of God. He said, the seed that fell on the footpath represents those who hear the message only to have Satan Come at once and take it away. Or in Matthew 13, 19, which also carries this same parable, Matthew just kind of adds a little bit. The seed that fell on the footpath represents those who hear the message about the kingdom and don't understand it. Then the evil one comes and snatches away the seed that was planted in their hearts. So the initial, uh, the initial kind of principle that's established here is that truth that is not understood cannot be received. Just give, if it's difficult, you're just giving the devil a chance to snatch it away. So if you are ever in the position where you're bringing the word of God to another person and don't say that you'll never do that, because believe me, by the end of this message, you'll realise you can. 
Okay, so uh, anytime you bring the word of God to another person, if you keep it in the realm of that which they can understand, it helps a lot. Otherwise, you're simply giving the devil an opportunity to come snatch it away because it was difficult to understand. Jesus went on. The seed on the rocky soil, we're describing a life, remember, represents those who hear the message and immediately receive it with joy. But since they don't have deep roots, what does that mean? They don't last long. They fall away as soon as they have problems or are persecuted for believing God's word. So the context now is in the context of difficult times when, when, they're, when they're persecuted, when life gets rough. So some who receive the word of God with joy, but then because they don't have deep roots, when it gets tough, they fall away. Okay, so what are deep roots? Well, as soon as we hear the word deep, we want to think deep, like deep theology, like deep truth. But what we actually know in the context of when life gets difficult, when people do experience persecution, the linchpin is actually that they are deeply rooted into Christian community. If you face a really hard time alone, the fall away rate really rises. But if you're deeply embedded in Christian community and we find strength together, the fall away rate is significantly reduced. I'd like to suggest to you this kind of deeply rooted uh, piece is actually deeply rooted in Christian community. In church life annually, roughly 10% of people will change over. So for every 100 people who show up, roughly 10 will change over. Some people die. Some people move with work. Some people get that feeling like it's time to go to a different church. Some people go, I'm just cooling off on the whole faith thing, full stop. Church doesn't work for me anymore. And so there's about a 10% shift. So if there's 100 people last year and 100 people this year, there's probably going to be roughly 10 new people. Now here's the bit, that's, I don't know if I'm, that's new information to anyone, but that's pretty normal. But here's the bit that's really interesting. Nine of those 10 people who left have one thing in common. It's not that they died, by the way. Nine of the 10 have one thing in common. The one thing that they have in common is that their exclusive point of connection with that church was a worship service. Isn't that interesting? They weren't deeply rooted in community. They weren't in a connect group. They weren't serving on a ministry team. They weren't part of Alpha or the worship, whatever. They weren't through the church serving into the broader community in a team. Wherever deep rootedness relationally happens in the context of life becoming difficult. And you only got to stack up the decades to realize that will come around the corner on multiple occasions. Correct? Absolutely. No one gets a red carpet through life. Life is going to throw you various blows at different times. And, and uh, so anyway, Jesus is simply saying uh, that you, got, you need to be deeply rooted. And I'd like to suggest to you that's deeply rooted in Christian community. And he goes on and he said, the seed that fell among the thorns represents those who hear God's word, but all too quickly, the message is crowded out. That's a spatial issue. All too quickly, the message is crowded out by what? By the worries of this life, by the lure of wealth and desire for other things. So no fruit is produced. We're going to come to that a little bit in a sec. But on, on, this, on this portion of Jesus' story, when the word of God comes to some hearts and lives, it's a spatial problem. A spatial problem on the inside. Now you're physically in the room right now and those who are joining us online, very true for you as well. It's true for all of us. We can be physically present, but absent in every other way. And we, we might be absent in any other way because the cost of living crisis is biting you. There's uncertainty for you as when you show up at work tomorrow, whether or not you're gonna to be told that your employment is being terminated and you've got no idea about the implications of that if you're carrying a mortgage or your family and all that stuff. It's, just, it's occupying everything. Almost impossible for the word of God to make its way through to you because honestly, you're not paying attention. There's a bloke up the front and he's kind of, he's like, wah, 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 wah. honestly, but you are occupied. You're occupied by that health report. 
you're occupied by the fact that your marriage is on profoundly thin ice and you're not sure by the end of the year whether you're still going to be together. You just raged at one another on the way to church. Only one of you is here. The other one's not even here because you raged together this morning. You're starting to sleep in different rooms. You know, it's, it's all gone belly up. Someone's been unfaithful to their marriage vows and it's just occupying the space. So Jesus gives a spatial statement here about the word of God being able to come. We therefore have to kind of pause, say, God in heaven, just I'm, I'm, I'm looking for space in my heart uh, for your for your truth, so that the word is not crowded out. Then he speaks about the good soil. <clears throat> Who wants to be good soil? Who wants to be good soil? Yes. Oh, we're getting there. Who wants to be good soil? Yes. Hey, thank you. You just need a little bit of encouragement there. Okay, we'll want to be good soil, but Jesus describes the impact when the word of God comes to good soil. So it becomes self-prescriptive, whether we're good soil or not. So he actually describes what happens when the word of God hits good soil. He said, the seed that fell on good soil represents those who hear and accept God's word and produce a harvest of 30, 60, or even 100 times as much as had been planted. In Luke chapter 8, the same parable, Luke just brings a slightly different angle on it. Those, uh, sorry, and the seed that fell in the good soil represents honest and good-hearted people. So he's even describing the type of person. Honest and good-hearted people who hear God's word, cling to it, and patiently produce a huge harvest. So Mark says, when the word of God hits Good soil, it multiplies 30, 60, 100 times. And Luke says, when God's honest and good-hearted people hear the word of God and cling to it, they produce a huge harvest. Obvious question, what's the huge harvest? Well, we had fruit earlier. Remember when it said no fruit is produced? So as soon as we see the word fruit, Christians will go to the fruit of the Spirit. So in other words... Because we know this phenomena happens that when the word of God is sown into our lives and when God has his way, when his kingdom comes inside of us, there is what I would describe as redemptive lift. And that Christian character is formed, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control, yes, and, and so in other words, when Jesus comes and redeems a life, there is lift that takes place. You become a better husband, wife, better neighbor, better worker, better parent, better friend. You're more faithful. You're honest and good-hearted person. Yes, etc. So like, is this, a, is this the, that multiplication factor? Is that inside my person that something happens from the word of God and something multiplies inside me and I get redemptive lift? Well, I'm not discounting that entirely, I actually don't think that's the main point. Because if that was the main point, it could all finish with you. What's the other alternative? Well, the other alternative is that the multiplication and this great harvest is to do with a great harvest of souls through you. Have you ever thought about this? I remember when this kind of dawned on me. Maybe I'm just quirky. Maybe you've had this same thought. Why the three and a half, three to three and a half year gap between Jesus' baptism and his crucifixion? Surely he could have got there more quickly. He could have got baptised in the morning, been crucified in the afternoon. He said, yes, but... There was a lot that he needed to teach, which is true. And we very correctly focus on the words of Jesus. We're doing it today. He said, but there was more than his words. There was also works for Jesus to do. He cast out demons. He healed the sick. He dealt with injustice. He assaulted 
a, a religious system that had kind of was beginning to misrepresent God. So there was a lot of words to speak, you know, a lot of truth to tell. There were a lot of works for him to demonstrate the coming of the kingdom of God. Yes, yes. But here's the missing piece that Western Christianity has lost. We pay attention to the words of Jesus and the works and we blind spot his way, the way of Jesus. Because Jesus multiplied. That three and a half year thing, would you agree with me if I said that Jesus was the master discipler? Any dissent in the room? I hope not. Jesus was, although some of you are starting to get nervous. I can feel it. I can feel it in the air. Jesus was the master discipler and he multiplied. He demonstrated this exact principle from one. He, by name, called out 12 to be with him. And he, there was a lot that he taught them. He did demonstrate to them uh, what uh, he was the living example of what they were being apprenticed into. He gave them skin in the game. They got rapidly mobilized. They integrated it into their lives. Ultimately, they got to innovate with us. And that, my friends, is the discipling process from information to imitation to integration to innovation. And Jesus demonstrated he multiplied. The disciples then multiplied. The early church multiplied. And guess what? For two millennia, that's exactly what has taken place. The gospel only came to us because of the faithfulness of former generations. And I also want you to hear this. Across the world right now, where the gospel is going gangbusters, the Christians are multiplying. Guess where they're not? In the West. Western Christianity lost a little bit. We are the failed global model of Christianity right now. Have been for multiple decades, by the way. Christianity in Australia has been in descent. We're in our seventh decade of decline in Australia. You and I are children of the failed model. That's a hard pill to swallow, isn't it? That's a tough truth to hear, especially when you're sitting in a large church. What are the failed model? What is a successful model? I tell you what, I cannot. I cannot celebrate, so the church I'm the pastor of, Crossway Baptist Church, I cannot celebrate Crossway's success and say, I don't care about Christianity in my nation. Well, the rest can just descend. We're doing well. I I just can't stomach that at all. And we've we've got Jesus here teaching when the word of God comes and finds good soil, it multiplies and there's a huge harvest. There's a multiplication, 30, 60, 100 fold. Now, if, If that's what Jesus was saying, and it's definitely what he modelled, did he teach that anywhere else? Like, it wouldn't be the only spot that Jesus kind of taught this multiplication principle, would it? It would have come up, it would have had to have come up, at least somewhere else, well, actually it comes up multiple places. Almost any time it's an agricultural metaphor, you've got multiplication. But let me just give you one good example Oh, sorry, before, no, sorry, before I give you that good example, I am postulating to you that we're in this parable where he speaks about fruit, where there's no fruit or where there is a harvest. I'm postulating to you that's actually talking about souls and people being brought into the kingdom. The normalizing of being a multiplying disciple, which is very not normal in Australia. I'm postulating to you that's normal Christianity. That simply knowing, having, knowing plenty, like we, we've made such an error in Australian Christianity that if you know plenty, knowledge is power and you are mature on the basis of your knowledge and that is false. We add to it character, so you know your Bible well and you've got good character, therefore that is mature That is also false. Okay, take a deep breath. Take a deep breath. Because 
the normalizing of spiritual maturity is to be a multiplying disciple. It doesn't discount the former two, it includes the former two, but in the absence of being a multiplying disciple, there is not maturity and it is not good soil at that point in time. Now take a deep breath, because for the vast majority of people in this room, I don't even know you, but I know it's true. For the vast majority, you have never multiplied in your life. Never have. You've been a follower of Jesus for decades. Never. Oh, God bless you because you're faithful and you pray and you give and you've got good character. You maybe even teach the Bible. But this idea of multiplication has evaded you because it's never been the culture of Christian faith in which you were raised. It's, it is endemic in Australian Christianity. And it's endemic the paralysis of multiplication. I can't say it strongly enough. I spoke to one pastor, sorry, it takes, this is across our nation, it takes 100 worshipping Christians physically in a room a full year to see one person put their trust in Jesus for the first time. The sobering part of that is to have 100 worshipping Christians in the room, there's probably 200 worshipping Christians who are part of that community of faith to see one person. But let's just go with the people in the room number, so it's a 1% ratio. But it gets worse than that. I spoke to a pastor from a different city, different tribe, loves Jesus, teaches the Bible, evangelical, great place, etc. And he said to me, he said, Dale, he said, we declared last year a year of evangelism. And he said, we, um, he said, we taught it, we trained it, crumbs. Alpha, I'm a huge fan of Alpha. We sometimes have as many as five Alphas happening simultaneously. I don't think we've ever had an Alpha without multiple people putting their trust in Jesus for the first time. As long as you don't just fill the room with Christians, of course. And there actually has to be people in there who don't know Jesus yet. And uh, <clears throat> so this pastor saying, and he said, we taught it and we trained it. We tried to mobilize for a full year. He said, at the end of the year, he said, I got the core team together. This is a thousand people showing up for worship. He said, we got the team together and I said, can anyone name one new Christian from this year? Zero. My dear brothers and sisters, that is not stuck. That's paralyzed. That's paralyzed. Can you are you able to receive this? Because there is a voice that lives between the ears of Australian Christianity and in the vast majority of the people in this room and that voice says, I can't. I can't. We've minimised discipling people to faith in Jesus to an event and even brave souls who try this and they go, Pfft. and the person goes, oh, I'm not ready for that. And then the person goes, oh, I suck at this. I'm really bad at this. It never works when I do it. Thank God for someone like Nathan or other people. You know, thank God for church. You know. And you know what becomes our high water aspirational moment? Our high water aspirational moment is to invite someone. I'll invite them to church. I'll invite them to Alpha. And if that's our high water mark, I just want you to know that's a very low bar. Globally, Global Christianity, uh, that is a profoundly and pathetically low bar, and yet it's the aspirational edge for a lot of Australian Christianity. That's how big the gap is. That's how big the gap is. Okay, now if, if this actually is what Jesus is talking about, he must have spoken it somewhere else, yes? And he did, of course. So Matthew uh, chapter 13, verse 33 Jesus used this illustration. He said, the kingdom of heaven is like the yeast. So the kingdom is like yeast. That a woman used in making bread, even though she only put a little yeast in three measures of flour, it permeated every part of the dough. Okay, hands up. Who's made bread? I've made bread. Hands up. Have you made bread? Yep. People across the room have made bread. There's a certain point, you end up with yeast in this little silver sachet if you buy the pack. And you tip it in the gooey dough and it kind of looks like um, coarse dust, grey stuff. And it gets kneaded through the moist dough. And then you have to leave the dough to rest <coughs> and expand. And it like more than doubles in size. Like, how does that happen? 
Like, what takes place there? Well, quick kitchen biology lesson. Yeast has a terrible flatulence problem. That's where you get all those little bubbles in your bread. There's a lot of burping and other things happening from those little yeast cells. But yeast is a monocellular organism. In other words, a whole yeast is one cell. Now, in contrast to what happens in a whole lot of nature, where when multiplication happens, one divides in half and becomes two, they divide in half and become four. You've probably you've seen, heard, all that sort of stuff. You know what yeast does? Yeast buds. One yeast cell will bud off, a healthy yeast cell in in an appropriate environment will bud off 20 to 30 identical yeast cells. And those 20 to 30 identical yeast cells will each bud off 20 to 30 yeast cells. And all of them will bud off 20 to 30 yeast cells. You know how you stop that from happening? You kill it by baking it. If before you bake it, you tear off a bit of that dough that's got yeast in it and put it into a new lump, it'll do it all over again. Knead it through it, pop, 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 pop. That yeast has got a good, great appetite. Big flatulence problem. 20 to 30, 20 to 30, 20 to 30, 20 to 30 of every yeast cell. Did Jesus know that when he said, the kingdom of heaven is like yeast? The normalising of multiplication that the Lord Jesus himself demonstrated, that the apostles demonstrated, that the early church demonstrated that Australian Christianity sucks at. Am I allowed to say suck in Queensland? Does that work? Sucketh. It comes from the Greek word suckos. Um, it means to be really bad at something. Okay. Uh, we, we are children of our generation, we've been discipled into paralysis and it becomes, even the thought of the potential of multiplication is so far beyond us. That's how bad it's got. That's why we're in our seventh decade of decline. I love it when Peter and John stand before the Sanhedrin in Acts chapter four, verse 13. And uh, it says that the the religious leaders looked at Peter and John. I'm gonna quote it to you now. You can look it up. They took note of their courage They could see that they were unschooled and ordinary men, but they could tell that they'd been with Jesus. So his book ended by noting their courage and noting they'd been with Jesus. And the central description of them is that they were unschooled and ordinary men. Now, you don't have to be a Greek scholar to appreciate this. The two words that are used there to describe them are that they were a grammatos idiotes. Look it up. They're the words, they're the two words. The, 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 the religious guys are looking at them, they're going, these guys are a grammatos idiotes. But I can tell they've been with Jesus. You know, back, if you know at all your church history, there's a thing called the Reformation. Prior to the Reformation, the gospel, the Bible, and Christian ministry had all been pulled up into the hands of the clergy and the church. And then this big thing happened called the, Rev, the Reformation. And, uh, and, and, and Martin Luther, he banged his thesis on the Wittenberg door and uh, the, print, the printing press got created. And you know what? The Word of God got put back into the hands of the people. And guess what happened? Massive multiplication. There was an explosion of gospel impact because the mission of God was put into the hands of ordinary people. Now, Here's the sting in the tail. You know what's happened in recent decades? The mission of God and the word of God has come back into the hands of the clergy. It's even come into geography, like the place of worship, or it's been connected to an event, a worship service or alpha. But the effect of it is it's taken the mission of God and the word of God away from the hands of ordinary people. The Lord Jesus in that, can we flick backwards to to John chapter four? Guys on the vision stuff. John four verse 35 and 36. You know the saying, four months between planting and harvest, but I say, wake up and look around. The fields are already ripe for harvest. The harvesters are paid good wages 
and the fruit, oh, I need you to say it with me, and say, please, out loud, ready? And the fruit they harvest is people brought to eternal life. Jesus himself demonstrating the multiplication principle in Mark chapter 4. John's gospel only has seven cameos of Jesus' life. It's amazing. From 13 on, it's into the last 24 hours of his life. And then in this little first bit, you've just got like seven modules of Jesus' life that John chose to focus on. And one module is not even in the mission to the primary target, the Jews. It was when he's with the Samaritans. Jesus says at the start of the chapter, we've got to go through Samaria. Just when they decide to you, Jews did not have to go through Samaria. If they're going from Jerusalem to Galilee, Religious Jews go around, nine to 12 days around, because you get unclean going through. But there was a provision, if you're in a real hurry, you can go through, three days straight through. Jesus says, we've got to go. He ends up sitting at the well, and he's having this casual conversation with a woman from Samaria. Could you get me a drink of water? They go from casual to meaningful to spiritual. Ultimately, Jesus ends up revealing himself, and that woman is rapidly mobilized. She puts her faith in Jesus. Rapidly mobilized, she multiplies, goes to the town. The town ended up coming out to see Jesus, have a chat with him. He ends up staying a couple more days, so he's not in a hurry. And there's a whole lot of multiplication that takes place there as well. And we get this little, which is all the precursor to that verse I just read out to you, which links the language of the parable of the sower. No fruit is produced or there's a great harvest. And if Jesus was prepared to link fruit and harvest and souls in John 4, I just want to say to you, I'm not on thin ice theologically that Jesus would also be linking fruit and harvest with souls in the parable of the sower, where Jesus is normalizing multiplication, that to be a multiplying follower of Jesus is normal. Well, crumbs, there's a big gap. Because if you actually have room in your heart to hear what's being said here right now, for some of you who your self-talk for decades has been you're a mature Christian, and I'm currently saying, sorry, you're not. Get him off the platform. Nathan, what do you put that stupid Victorian on the platform for? How dare he? He doesn't know me. You've got no right to say that. Oh, I, I agree with you. I have no right to say that whatsoever. The Bible does and Jesus does. Your fight is with him, not with me. I'm sorry. This is Jesus' teaching. And if Jesus said, when the word of God finds good soil, oh, and where are we? I want to be good soil. Okay, he defines good soil. Good, when the word of God comes to good soil, it multiplies through you. You're not a bucket, you're a conduit through you to others. Okay, I just need to step back because I can almost feel the exasperation in the room. I can feel the depression and the resistance. Get him off. (laughs) Which bit? (laughs) Okay, here we go. So let me give you some examples. If you choose to come to the training that's happening in a month, it's going to be a training on how to disciple a friend to faith in Jesus. Tim P.S. is going to lead it. He's a national director of this domain of stuff. He's brilliant at it. This, uh, when Jesus said the fields are white under harvest, I don't think he was making a statement that was geographic or time-bound. I think he made a statement of truth. So I want to say to you, the fields are white under harvest around you. John 5.19, Jesus said the son can do nothing of his own initiative and he does what he sees the father doing. And Jesus had this highly, which when you get the Lord Jesus giving a modus operandi statement, pay attention. Jesus said, I can't do it, but I will join my father in what he's doing. I can see what he's doing, I'll join him there. Hence, we've got to go through some area type statement. Or hence, choosing the 12 that he chose. He could see what the Father was doing and he joined him there. I just need to say to you, God is active in your world around you. Your fields are white under harvest. You can disciple people to faith in Jesus. You really can. 
And I know Goliath between your ears says you can't. I'm saying to you, you can and it's not hard. That's actually the scary bit. It's not hard to disciple people to faith in Jesus. You know, in the first five months of this year, through the people of Crossway and because this has all kind of affected our ministries and everything, 250 people put their trust in Jesus. Everyone has a name, contact details and a story saying, I've never done this before. You cannot hit that list twice. Somebody please celebrate. For goodness sake. Australians, Australians putting their trust in Jesus. So we did some training. You were about to do it. How to disciple a friend toward faith in Jesus. So we did that just recently. And, uh, and, and one of the guys who did the training, Peter, who happens to be a fisherman, ironically. Peter's about 70. And Peter was feeling pretty miffed about the whole thing. And Peter was saying, my fields aren't white under harvest. I don't even know anyone who's not a Christian. He's, you know, I'm sure maybe God's active in my world. I don't know anyone who's not a Christian. And, and part of the training, you'll get exposed to it if you come a person of peace, that's the language of Jesus. When he sent out the 12, when he sent out the 72, you maybe have never noticed this before, he put a bullseye out in the village. So when you speak, there's going to be a, you want some, this is getting deep now, Greek words, there is a euios of Renes, a son of peace. And when you speak the blessing, it will rest on them. And they will offer you food and accommodation. They will serve you. We say they like you, they listen to you, they'll serve you. And so Peter's going, I don't have anyone in my world doesn't know Jesus who likes me, listens to me and serves me. And he's fishing on Mordialic Pier and he's kind of grumbling to God about this sort of stuff. And he looks up and the guy about five metres up who also fishes there all the time, they've said g'day and they've chatted heaps. He goes, well, that guy does like me. He does listen to me. And then Peter says, ah, he doesn't serve me though. And then Peter was flexing his knee and rubbing it a bit. And the guy says, what's wrong with your knee? He goes, oh, I've got a bit of a bung knee. The guy puts down his fishing rod, walks over. He's down on his haunches. And the guy's medically trained. Does this hurt? Does this hurt? He's poking and pulling and all that sort of stuff. And Peter goes, oh, no, he's serving me as well. <laughs> so Peter kind of throws out a little, you know, spiritual statement. And the guy bites. The guy goes, oh, I'm really interested in spiritual things. He said, I've read the Bible, I've read the Quran, I've read Hindu texts and Buddhist texts. And, and the guy says, I think Christianity is the best of them, but I'm not a Christian. Peter says, I am. And they chat a little bit more and say, then Peter, and if you come to the training, you'll learn this. I'm looking for someone to read the Bible with. Would you be interested? The guy goes, I'd love to do that with you. It took about six weeks before Peter discipled that man to faith in Jesus. A few weeks later, he baptised him. So another story about Anne. I can tell my own personal stories as well, but you might go, I'm a converted atheist, okay? I'm a, I'm a converted anti-Christian atheist. So you can kind of go, yeah, yeah, yeah. You can fob me off, but I want you to know I do do this as well. But let me tell you about Anne. 72, conservative Christian woman, introverted, who also did the training. Anne said to herself, I only know one couple who are not Christians. She asked them, and they said, we're not interested. So Anne's sitting in her lounge room and she's complaining to God. Knew it wouldn't work for me. Never works for me. She looks out of her lounge room window up her driveway and there's a lady with a lollipop because there's a kid's crossing, school crossing, at the end of her driveway. And the Lord says, well, what about the lollipop lady? That lady had done that shift for a decade. And Anne had said hi to her hundreds of times, but they'd never spoken. Anne jumps up, she walks up the driveway and let's call the lollipop lady Gloria. I don't know what her name is. Well, she's becoming Gloria right now, okay? So she goes up to her and, and she goes, my name's Anne. I'm Gloria. And Anne says, we've said hi hundreds of times, but I've never chatted with you. Gloria says, well, that's nice. And he says, look, I know this is going to like feel like it's coming out of nowhere. I'm actually looking for someone to read the Bible with. And I just wonder whether you might be interested. And Gloria looks at her and says, my son became a Christian three weeks ago. I'd love to know what he's gotten himself into. <laughs> Anne says, are you free for a cup of tea at the end of your shift? Yes, come on in. So she comes in and they have a cup of tea and they open the Bible together. And Anne, for the first time in over 50 years as a Christian, Anne discipled Gloria to faith in Jesus. Now, Quite apart from that eternal impact in Gloria, I want you to hear this. It was like an explosion taking place inside of Anne. 
I was reading the Bible with a, with a guy called Tuan, uh, a Vietnamese Buddhist guy, and, uh, and, and Tuan was loving reading the Bible with me, and, uh, and, and, and Tuan told me, he was starting to tell his friends, I'm becoming a Christian, but I'm not one yet. He's a Buddhist. I'm becoming a Christian, but I'm not one yet. And, uh, and I, I told Tuan he'd know when God got in cornered and the different Bible readings we'd done was helping him to understand God and the gospel and what Jesus had done for him. And, and, uh, and we did a bit of a reading from Matthew 5 one week and he la, la, loved it. Can we do Matthew 6 next week? Yeah, sure. And he, he'd already told me he was starting to read the Bible every day. He was liking it so much. When he came, walked in next week, his face looked different. I said, hey, Twine, what's going down? He said, I want to get baptized. I said, why? He said, I put my trust in Jesus this week. I said, how'd that happen? He said, Matthew chapter 6. He said, I couldn't stop reading it. I read it over and over and over and over. He said, all of a sudden I realized this was the sort of man I want to be. And he said, then I realized this is my moment. He said, and I put my trust in Jesus. Now, even before Twan had put his trust in Jesus and he was telling me how much he was loving this little thing we were doing together, I said to him, I said, it's not difficult, Twan, is it? He goes, no, it's easy. I said, who in your world, if you ask them, would love to do this with you? Just like what I'm doing. Who would love to do that with you? He goes, oh, my mum would love to do this with me. He goes, oh, I think a mate would love to do this with me as well. Rapid mobilisation. The sort of thing that anyone, anywhere, anytime can do. The mission of God in the hands of ordinary people just like you. Just like you. Because when multiplication happens at that level, we behave like good soil and we're doing what is called normal Christianity. And our void as Australian Christians is no one's ever shown us how to do that. You can learn about it in about a month. I invite you to please stand on your feet right now. Now let's just pause because if we've never known what it looks like to multiply in our own heart of hearts, we've kind of owned mature and all of a sudden we've maybe had a realisation maybe I'm not Maybe I'm not good soil. Maybe the word of God has never multiplied through me to others. So let's just pause in the presence of God because this might be a moment of repentance for you. And that which manifests as fear is actually ego. What are you afraid of? It's your ego. You don't want to look bad. You don't want to fail. God in heaven, right now by your Holy Spirit, I pray you'd move amongst us. Father in heaven, I'm, I, want to, I want to bind the lies of the evil one who's trying to snatch us away, who's trying to say, not you, never, can't be. You're too old, you're too young. You don't know your Bible well enough. Like a thousand excuses were like Moses at the burning bush. So God in heaven right now, I want to bind that activity and I pray that you'd break through by your Holy Spirit. Touch our hearts, Lord God, that we can be the men and women that you have called us to be. We want to join our brothers and sisters who are around the world. This is normal. So God, God in heaven, by your Holy Spirit, corral us, put us on the hook and don't let us shake it off because we need another reformation that the mission of God will be put back into the hands of ordinary people. God, make it so, I pray, in this place for the glory and the honour of your name. And God's people agreed and said, Amen Amen and Amen. Thank you so much. Dale, thanks so much for sharing with us. God's been speaking to us, isn't it? If you've been with us for the last few weeks, the message God's saying, He's saying, now's the time.
now is the time, the greatest season for evangelism in our lifetime. God's been shifting in culture. He's been moving in our own community. He's been moving among us. And he's calling each and every one of us have a part to play. Um, I did the BDC training and it wasn't long after that. I happened to attend the G'day Saturday, our TESOL program Christmas break up. And I was sitting in there. Pastor Andrew was sharing a little message as part of the Christmas break up on John 3.16. For God so loved the world. When he got to the word God, he said, turn to the people next to you and just, just say what you think, what comes to your mind when you think about God. I happened to be sitting next to this young guy from another country and he said to me, I've got so many questions about who God is. And, and, and as it went on, we had to move on to the next question. And I thought, it was just that moment, I'd just done the training, I thought, here's, here's a person. And I said, hey, I've, I've been looking for someone to read the Bible with. Would you be interested in doing that with me? And he said, I would love to do that with you. So this young guy, Simon, we caught up. About a week later, we started reading the Bible. Within three weeks, th- three weeks into it, we were reading the prodigal son, and he, he clicked that in the prodigal story, the prodigal son story, the father is God. He said, "I need to come to the father. I need forgiveness. I know it." And he said, oh. "I said, do you want to receive it now?" He said, "I want it now. I need this." And we we're sitting out in the courtyard, and I said, just to mark the moment, I said, "Why don't you come up to me in my office?" We knelt together, and this young guy from another country gave his life to Jesus right there and right then. And the thing about that story is all I did, the the Holy Spirit is the greatest evangelist, I want to tell you. I was simply sitting there. I was ready, heard the prompting, read the Bible. The Spirit of God spoke to him and I got the joy, the privilege of being there as he crossed over. We want to see that multiplied over and over again. The QR code on the screens. We put that QR code up. I really want to encourage you to come to the training August 19th with Tim P.S. and the team. You will be equipped to be a part of this as well. As we pray, we're asking the Spirit of God to empower every person right across our church. Imagine the multiplying impact of that story being multiplied many, many times. That's the response this morning. Say, yeah, I'm going to come. I'm going to do the train two hours on a Saturday morning. That's all, two hours to come. We'll even give you morning tea. We'll look after you on that morning. Come. We want to empower and equip you to be part of God's mission this world. Imagine thousands of people coming to the Kingdom of God. That's our prayer. Let's worship. Let's sing out with faith this morning. The power of the Gospel. Let's do that together. Look out. 
news in all the world, don't we? Our world desperately needs to hear it. Romans 10 says, For everyone, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how can they call on Him to save them unless they believe in Him? And how can they believe Him if they've never heard about Him? And how can they hear about Him unless someone tells them? Will you be part of that church? Be part of the people that tell them the good news? And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? That is why the Scriptures say how beautiful are the feet of messengers who bring good news. I don't know about you, but I want to be all about that. We long to see this community transformed. Lord, we make ourselves available now, Lord. Come, Holy Spirit, fill us, anoint us. Send us out this very week, we pray. Maybe before we even get to the training, Lord, we're already just ready, alert to what you're going to do and bless that training day. Mobilise us as your people, we pray. We ask this in Jesus' Name. Everyone said, Amen. Please be seated. Can we thank Dale and Edie one more time just for being with us? If you'd like prayer, our prayer team will be down the front, prayer lounge at the back. If you're online, do reach out to us. We'd love to pray for you. Any prayer needs you have, prayerbridgeman.org.au. Our welcome lounge at the back as well. But God bless you and thanks so much for sharing with us. We look forward to connecting with you again really soon.